0: You're listening to Counterculture on
1: RCR.
0: Welcome back to Counterculture here with Marie. And as always at this time, Media Matters with Marty Gibson. How are you, Marty?
1: I'm good, thanks. How you?
0: The poor old listeners are going to have even more heavy breathing this week because um, I'm <laughs> Snuffa busky Snuff a busky has a cold. So I'm sorry about what you've had for the last two hours, everybody, but that's why. Snuff a busky But it's all good. Otherwise, I am good. And Ooh, the papers the papers this week. I uh, spent a bit of time going through everything again as a fresh look. The first thing I have to say, crikey. The uh, Sunday Star Times was exceptionally chewy
1: this week. Very high fibre reading, wasn't it?
0: <sighs> there was not a lot there, not a lot there. But I have pulled together sort of a few themes, and we've had a bit of a all before we got started. And it has been a big week in politics. Lots of posturing that has gone on. Uh, we've had events like field days that has sort of concentrated a lot of political attention into one place in the Waikato. Mm. And of course, there's been the fallout from the funeral in Tangi in Aporiki, and Arawari's uh, living it up in France right now. So. Is he? He is eating macarons and ooh la, looking as the Eiffel Tower from our five star hotel. Ah, what a nice way for a Māori to live. Where do you want to start?
1: Well, I mean, you know, let's get the gangs out out of the way. Let's crick down the yes, um, crack down on the gangs. Crack down
0: on the gangs. All right.
1: It is just like clockwork, isn't it? Um, and I've said before, all these people have ever had their whole life is people cracking down on them, which doesn't mean that they shouldn't be pulled into line for their array of scumbag behaviors. And I think people get upset about seeing people do burnouts and uh, close roads. I mean, there's a lot of scumbag behavior that people who aren't around gangs have got no idea about. It's a roast busters every week, if not, you know, several times a week in most cities, in most gangs. I've had a mob leader say to me you know they get the prospects to bring the girlfriends over put a bit of pee in their drink and then the next minute she's being sexually assaulted by a whole lot of these gang members and so yeah there's a lot of ugliness around it and i've seen it firsthand and it's it's terribly sad you know i found having kids really changed me a lot in the way I saw people, and that I see everyone as a child. And I, I, it's not an excuse, it's an explanation, but I, I do see gang members and their posturing and their sort of mental age of 14. And I think, oh, you just didn't get what you deserved when you were a kid. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting to talk to them always because, as I said, you know, you have that moment we say, this must suck, does it? Because mm. it's never a peaceful. Never a peaceful vibe that a gang pad.
0: And also it's about breaking the cycle because you look at a place like a Porta key which is a small town. I mean, it's 5,000 odd people. Mm. Because the Iporeki, I remember, is the Iporeki of the 70s and 80s when you know I lived the other side of the waiweka Gorge. So it was mm. somewhere that we went to a lot, and it was a mixture between a local Māori community and a farming community, and it's a gorgeous place. <laughs> it's a, I mean, mm. geographically, it's stunning. It was, it was really wonderful. Now it's, it's a, it's a town-riven by gang conflict.
1: Well, and, and methamphetamine. You know, meth meth is just ripped through the coast. You know, there's this sort of bullshit like, oh, you know, people are working two shifts at the Kiri fruit, so they need to take the pee. It's like, yeah, they need to do two shifts because they're addicted to pee. Yeah.
0: To that end, how do you break the cycle? You know, you've got a school that closes for a week citing heightened emotions, and that probably is one of the few institutions in that town that provides kids foundation structure and a way out
1: and it's closed potentially
0: potentially Uh,
1: 45 percent who emerge functionally literate
0: so i pulled out the editorial in the Herald on sunday they were talking about this and this is what struck me in this this piece at the heart of this is a man that's been killed yes he was a patched head of a loath group one doesn't become a mob boss by being a saint But Pū Whakamua's Rehabilitation Programme founder, Billy McFarlane Sr. says, Taiatini should be acknowledged for the good stuff he's done. He's worked seriously hard to help make changes in the methamphetamine harm space. He and his partner, Pauline, have done a lot of work, even in Rotorua. Are you getting a sense of chicken and egg here?
1: Mm. Yeah, it's it's like the... uh... British sailor who uh, didn't tie a cannon down properly and then it raced around the deck smashing things up and so they gave him a medal and then hung him.
0: Goes on to the, further to say McFarlane says um, Taeteni's death was a tragedy and he was going to be missed. He wasn't a bad guy. He was quite a pleasant fellow to talk to and he wanted to do good.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I've been to a mob funeral and the, the mob boss was a personal friend of mine. I remember having a conversation with him, and he said to me once, I'll say, Ike Muringurangi, you know, he's uh, head of the mob in and, and Gisborne, and he was, you know, son of a nice family by all ac- accounts, you know, his parents were Seventh-day Adventists. I think he had the usual trip into the gang world that a lot of them do, which was in the borstal system the boot camp system sort of back then and you know that's was sort of stuck on him and he found out that he was really really good at being really really violent but again he was he was a nice guy in the same way that you hear people like Connie Heke described as a nice guy and they're almost you know always two speeds to them there was a really humble quiet gentleman that was just totally at odds with the volcanic violence mm-hmm. they're capable of and in uh, those sort of situations. My experience with gangs is similar to my experience with Islamists, uh, overwhelmingly positive with one or two moments each of terror. I don't think either is a particularly good idea.
0: And and with gangs too, particularly when you're looking at the number of Māori in gangs, I mean, what are they now? More gang members in this country than there are sworn police. There's a number for you. It gives them somewhere to an outlet for that warrior side of their culture, because that's been suppressed everywhere else.
1: And, you know, if you if you ever ask Dyke who they hated most in the mob, their answer is other Maori gangs. And, you know, I mean, when I went to his funeral, there was me and another couple of white guys. You know, I'm not going to lie, it's terrifying. You know, there's a fair bit of barking, I like a good bit of woofing at the, on such occasions. But no one hassled me particularly at all. I was, you know, sad that he'd he'd died because I liked him. But you know, like I like a few other gang members. But mm-hmm. I, I feel sad at the people they hurt and that you know what they might have done with the the uh, manifest skills they had. It seemed such a waste, and I still think it is an awful waste. But again, when I hear Christopher Luxon cracking down on gangs, I've been in a gang house. I remember I was in one, there was a, a boy running around who couldn't have been much more than two or three. It was probably more like two. And his mum was out on a pee bender. I talked to him a little bit and played with him a little bit. And when I left, he he came to the door and cried. And I uh, just was heartbroken about that. Just that thing of people's lives being screwed before they really start, and often in utero. We don't, mm. probably don't talk about that enough. You know, a no. lot of these people, whose brains, you know, don't have very good impulse control, have been marinated in a toxic cocktail of drugs and alcohol. And I remember doing a a project about that for a Māori health organisation and New Zealand's leading paediatrician. She described it as New Zealand's foremost social justice issue. When you think about all the time we spend talking about various pride things, you can't really think too much about that ever being mentioned, can you?
0: Absolutely not. And it all comes back to how do you break that cycle? How do you make a gang, if you're that child growing up in that house, how do you make the gang less attractive?
1: If I were the National Party, and that's a big if, rather than sort of talking specifically about cracking down on gangs, I'd be talking about cracking down on anyone who intimidates someone who tries to leave a gang. I think that's really important. You've got to take that valve out of there because once you're in, getting out a pretty horrible prospect and these people are still living all around you. And I'd also be really, really cracking down to the point of making it impossible for gangs to prospect young people into that life because mm. they do the dirty work before they can be criminally held liable.
0: And that's just it. Every single person that is wearing a patch has actually had to do something criminal in order to earn it. Yeah. And they shall have come out, though, on how they're going to crack down on gangs yeah yeah and these are the bullet points that they came up with and i'm going to bring these up now this is not to say that i'm pro-gang and i'm going to preface this actually all these things that i talk about i always look at it in what i call a bundle situation What happens if the barn door were to swing back the other way? Because once these powers are enshrined or any powers or legislation are enshrined, it's very difficult to unravel them. Governments aren't fond of unraveling things. It takes too much work. They don't like doing it.
1: Well, the the flip side of that is they actually quite like the power to have um, searches of people's houses without warrants as well.
0: Exactly. That one slipped through under urgency during lockdown one in March, March, April 2020. So, yeah, exactly. But National's solution to this, tits for hands, banning gang patches in public places. We've heard this before, Michael Laws. I mean, without even diving into the free speech issues on that. Well, yeah, no, uh, because what what defines... And this is where you need to look at what defines what will be a gang patch or perceived as a gang patch by legislation. Allowing police to issue dispersal notices where gang members come together in public to intimidate, threaten, and sometimes assault members of the public. Again, if you looked at what constitutes gang members, all those other things, you don't want intimidation, threats, or assaulting members of the public. But this is like a precognition thing, right? So they're sort of saying, well, if they're a gang member, we can break it up before something happens. You know it
1: when you see it.
0: Yes, you know it when you see it. But what defines defines a gang? Giving police non-association powers to prevent gang members from communicating and planning criminal activity yeah that's pretty woolly giving police the warrantless search powers they need to take the guns out of the hands of violent armed gang members which has contributed to the worst gun violence scene in new zealand well actually i think that already exists So you're not giving them anything they don't already have. Having it and executing it are two quite different things. not saying that it should happen. I mean, I'd love to hear Cam's opinion. I'm sure Cam will have something to say on that if we were to ask him. Cracking down on serious youth offenders by creating Young Offender Military Academies. That is National's five-point plan. Now, my concern with, with these is that all of these could be used against any group perceived to be against the incumbent government at the time. Mm. That is my concern.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the cracking down too. I mean, I've talked to police who who had really, really good results from going to houses where they're frequently getting called to domestic incidents uh, when they weren't getting called there for a domestic incident when they go and say, look, you know, how's it all going? And the, the cracking down, as I said, it's, it's, it's all that's ever happened. And there was the, uh, commission into the, um, treatment of children in state care. I think it's high time that the government, whichever government or all, all parties have been party to it, really acknowledge the harms that were done there. And I think, Any dehumanizing of people demeans all of us. I've never gone into gang situations thinking it was glamorous, wanting to be associated in any way with the organizations. I just happened to know individuals because I had friends whose family were in gangs. And I used to write the odd letter to get people's pit bulls out of a pound (laughs) and write the odd story to counter a story that had been in the media about someone. You know, and that that was revealing. Talking to those people, I remember one of them was about a kid, kid in a gang situation, and his father wanted to put the uh, other side of the story. He was talking about going seeing his kid in this basically youth detainment facility, whatever you call it. And he said, "Oh, we went in there, and there's this uh, there's this uh, thing on the wall. And it's got all these jobs and these names and these ticks and stuff." And I said, "Oh, hey, well, what's that thing?" And they said, "Oh, you know that—that's uh, we put that so uh, you know the kids know which jobs they've got to do today." And I said, "Oh, far, Mum, we should get one of those. We just yell at them, you know." So there's a level of dysfunction.
0: Basic parenting skills, essentially. Yeah,
1: but absolutely lacking. There was another incident I, I had when I was twenty, and I—I was boarding in this place, very dodgy inRotorua, and, right around. and um, I thought something was going to go down, and there was a guy there was a been a black power prospect who just got out of jail and i said to him mate i think this is going to go quite bad quite soon so you know if i were you i'd pack my bags and you can stick them in my car if you like and uh we'll, we can bounce eh? you know without messing around too much and uh so it did go down and there was some, a bit of a few knives out and things like that so we off we set his plan was to go to the pub which was the Cobb Co which was, ai didn't realise it then, but it was a pretty heavy Black Power haunt he had to get some money out and so he went across the road and for some reason he came back to tell me, this. I don't know why he came back rather than just executing his plan but uh, he said oh, I'm going to go back and tell those F and C's and I said well, if you do that they're going to say oh we're sorry and then you know Uh, You know, after about five minutes, some cops are going to walk in and you're going to think to yourself, what are they doing here? And they'll be there to arrest you and take you back to jail. Here's what you do. Go back and say, look, I wonder if you could help me. My money card's not working. You know, could you look into it for me? (laughs) Go get him, champ. And he came back and it looked like he'd just been slapped. I said to him, did you get your money? And he said, yeah, it was really... I think it, something clicked from there, but yeah, we went to the pub and yeah, that was a whole other thing.
0: It is again, how do you break that cycle? And there is, and I don't believe National have addressed any of those issues.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Māori don't do well when they think people don't like them. And I think that's a big problem that they see a lot of these guys like Christopher Luxon, and there's this kind of visceral dislike where it'd be much better if they're like, man, you know, any decent gangster wants their kids to go straight. You don't want what you had for your kids. And you're not really enjoying this. And it's a tit for tat thing. You know, you know, we're gonna be tough, but we're gonna make sure that you've got a path out of this that's gonna leave you in five years thinking, man, what the hell was I thinking? And also doing some good rather than just constantly going around doing harm.
0: So so that's the plan National's come out. Of course, he's been sort of lambasted partially around the comments that he made, saying that we've become very negative, wet, whiny, inward-looking country, and we've lost the plot. When I heard that, I thought, actually, that is an unguarded comment that I believe probably a lot of New Zealanders are feeling. And it's been really interesting to see the commentator's reaction to that Comment, but it was Shane To Poe, your buddy Shane To Poe. Shane To
1: Shane. We'll have to. We'll have. Wow, to.
0: I you know he is somebody that gosh, honestly, I swear I get whiplash with a sheep because there are times that he states things quite plain about seeing the positives and the negatives in terms of a position, particularly from a Maori point of view. Mm. And then we have this weekend's column, which essentially, to me, read like a job interview.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, as you know, and I don't know why I do it, but I give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, like, but yeah, this one, he just believes everything. <laughs> Everything's great. These guys are doing a great job.
0: I, love I didn't this. actually
1: highlight anything from it. Um,
0: oh, I did. Did you? Oh, I see a country that's embracing our diverse cultures, that's delivering full employment and strong wage growth, a country that's building more homes than ever, and welcoming people from all over the world to help us build a better tomorrow. Everything oh. is awesome! I see an Aotearoa where we're showing that we can cut emissions without closing down industry. Oh, I haven't been to Taranaki lately, then, Shane. I see a country that's been an inspiration to the world in how we have dealt with COVID and shown that looking after each other is the best path for both people and the economy. I see a country with 4,000 more nurses, 1,800 more cops, and where an experienced teacher can now earn more than $1,000 a year. I see in Aotearoa, where we We have lifted seventy seven thousand children out of poverty in five years, and we can end poverty for all if we choose it.
1: Yeah, I, mean, that, I haven't seen
0: know, so much gaslighting on a page since Jenny Anderson last week.
1: Yeah, they must be going to the same school. I mean, you know there's that assumption always too, isn't there, that the problem is that the people who um are in poverty are just suffering from a lack of money? You know, sort of saying, you know, a couple of, a couple with $5 million in assets over and above any debt would pay just $25,000 a year more, and that money would lift several kids out of poverty, helping to make sure they have enough kai to eat and a good place to live. Well, uh, you know, Shane, let's go and see some state houses that would be good places to live. It's not the poverty in the bank account. It's the poverty between the ears. Unless we can admit that and admit that the teachers' unions that are funding Labour are a big part of the problem, where uh, we could throw all the money uh, that we want at it, and the only people who are going to get rich is the mob from selling drugs.
0: I've just had Karina Shields on just prior to this, and she started. So she's Auntie Hey Hey on TikTok and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I asked her how she started, and she said the whole thing started for her when she was advocating for her parents, who were state house tenants, and the the state that the house that they were living in was in, and the lack of traction that they were getting about doing anything about it. And she's very frank about Mm. the quality of what's out there. I just cannot believe I haven't seen so much fantasy. I'd love to know the fantasy land Shane lives in. That's what he sees this country is. Yeah. If you talk to someone like Karina Shields, I can tell you right now, she's talking to Māori every day. She's Māori. That's not the country they see.
1: Yeah, well, there's there's a funny thing happens um, when Māori get educated and rich. I think they're really worried that they're going to get cast out. You know, I remember hearing Marama Davidson saying her grandkids called fruit and veggies grandma food, you know, and it should be everyone should be able to afford food. It's like, lady, you can afford to buy your kids fruit, so your grandkids can eat fruit. Don't, don't give us that. There's that kind of need to to really say, yeah, yeah, everything's um your problems are all because the system hates you and wants to see you fail.
0: It'll be interesting this coming election. So what are we now? Fifteen weeks in the monologue. I talked about. I re looked at the entire fable of the scorpion and the frog, because that's just it. I'm still undecided, still an undecided voter over here. Reading just all the shenanigans that have happened in the last several weeks is that the reality of it is, and even what's happened in minor party politics over the last few days, they're all scorpions Mm. and it doesn't matter. Even if you vote based on conviction, they're all scorpions. So the difficulty will be is which scorpion do you choose? that is going to at least deliver you something that is going to look like effective positive change and not sting and kill you as you're carrying them across the river during the election.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's talking particularly, I guess, about the Democracy NZ uh, meltdown.
0: I know so many people out there, particularly who are conviction freedom voters, are really feeling like that they have potential to have their voice heard this election. I don't know about you. I can't see it too many parties too much fractionation it and a
1: corrupt is, media that's complicit
0: and all it of all. it and it worries me deeply it really worries me to the absolutely to my bones that i believe that there will be at least 15% of new zealanders at least that will have their voices unheard this coming election
1: Oh, because of the splitting of the vote.
0: Because of the splitting of the vote. You
1: hate splitting of the vote, don't you?
0: I, do, I do hate splitting just of the sit, vote. Bolt because... upright in bed. <laughs> 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 well, I do. I do. You know. I mean, I I just see Northland is going to be an absolute festering ruin. I think Matt has now. What's happened in Democracy NZ? And I'm not going to rehash it here for listeners. If you want to hear more about this, uh, listen to Paul Brennan's show on Monday. Uh, he covered off uh, some stuff there, and I know that he's been he's staying on the story, and I'm sure that you guys will probably touch it on the political panel in a couple of days. I know Cam was talking about it with Paul on Monday. Uh, Matt was on with Paul on Monday. Matt was probably the most cohesive of that group, and now you've got this implosion there. He was putting all his eggs in the Northland basket. Willow Jean Prime, unless some sort of cup of tea deal gets done in Northland, Willow Jean Prime is going to bolt in up there. I can tell you that right now, Dollars to Donuts, because yeah. you've got Mark Cameron standing for ACT. Well, he's one of their strongest candidates, very, very strong within the rural sector. And from what I hear, uh, David Seymour was more greatly received at Field Days than Christopher Luxon was. So, you know, that rural vote is coalescing now around the ACT Party more than the National Party.
1: makes it Uh, hard to believe so many uh, rural Canterbury voters swung Labour. I still really struggle (laughs) with that, and I still really hear that slimy little Democrat operative. Yeah, he he described New Zealand as ripe for a juicy hack just prior to that election. I also remember whether it was I think it was that election, it may have been the subsequent one. I got um booted off Twitter just before it, maybe two months before it, which really gave me a an earring eerie foreboding um of what was it was a bit like being put in a cyber gulag. And I hadn't done anything that was against the rules. Mm. Um we yeah, really I I, I really you know there is that question of well how you know I mean certainly we've been gaslighted a fair bit saying that you know the concerns about the American election were um, were all just uh, conspiracy theory that they, they actually weren't there were some real problems with that election, not not the least of which being that Biden got more votes than Obama.
0: There is a lot going on. I think this coming election, and Andrea Vance actually touched upon it in her piece. There are some electorates that swung to Labour in the last election, which she is predicting will swing back. Um, it was interesting, Manga is held currently by the government. Um, and she was, this is, a, this is a really interesting comment. She goes, Priyanka uh, Radhakrishnan, a name recognition as minister. What is she the minister of? Was she the diversity minister? I don't. I've never heard of her. Well, I vaguely heard of her, but I would hardly say that she would have name recognition in most households. No. Uh, is going up against Nationals' Greg Fleming and has attracted headlines for only the wrong reasons. Now, did you see the video from someone that questioned him when he was doing a street quarter piece this week? No. They were asking questions around, was he aware of the mandate that was still in place for many health workers, including doctors and nurses? He was completely unaware that that Mm. was a thing, like completely unaware. And that in itself is a concern, because when you've got people as member of public, you know, he thought that was all gone. And I think most people do believe that that's all gone. So when you've got Shane Poe turning around saying, what was the number he said? I see a country with 4,000 more nurses and 1,800 more cops. Really, shame, because there is still at least 1,000 nurses that are, would love to be back at work and aren't because they can't. Yeah. So she sort of called that as, a, as an interesting race. She, for some reason, believes that Ireland and Christchurch, that the top candidate potentially might do something there. I don't know. I don't think so. But the other big beasts of the election, she called it, and it actually goes a little bit to your point in terms of those rural voters is the battleground with Karen Mano- um, Karen McNulty and Upper. Now that's one that I will find really intriguing because I, you know, that is very much a mixed electorate between those who have relocated, the Wellington lovies who have relocated from mm. over the hill onto the onto the wineries and the lifestyle blocks, and the farmers and Upper, I think could potentially go. And the other one she highlighted was Kitty Allen on the East Coast because our Kitty Tapu yeah, the the love isn't quite as strong for her as it once was. You don't reckon? Well, some of the people I've been talking at, at home certainly are quite and this is Marty, are quite disillusioned with her. mm Trevor Loudon, who I've just spoken to, you know, we didn't bring up Kiritapu, but he has just released a, a, a documentary, Small.
1: Wasn't piece. that incredible?
0: Oh, unfortunately, it does sit behind a paywall. It is part of uh, the Epoch Times and Epoch TV. It's I just called
1: Counterpunch.
0: Yeah, it's called Counterpunch. And I will actually, we can get that up. It's called Counterpunch. And he did a deep dive on Tapu and her ground. radical. Yeah. Radical background. Her, like so many within that mighty caucus, who had come from an activist background, but not only within New Zealand activism, but activism more internationally. And Trevor has, has actually zoomed out a little bit and looked at the larger picture on that. And it really, it, I I mean, there was a lot of stuff that I was completely unaware of and the tentacles of where all of those went. And in a way, when you look at those tentacles, sometimes if you're looking at something too closely, you don't see the bigger picture. And I know that you've done a bit of work on this this week, that you've been sort of zooming out a little Mm. bit more on some of the aspects that explain so many of the things going on on our current political
1: environment. Yeah, well, I mean, I want... Things to make sense, and so, like any good scientist, I I, uh, I, I look look for for theories that uh, that explain things. Uh, I mean, I've been listening to a really interesting interview between RFK Jr. and Jordan Peterson uh, this week. Uh, RFK Jr. is running for president, and it's almost like there's an element of going back sixty years to when Kennedy was proposing a new peaceful world where nations were prosperous and all nations were peaceful rather than, and and also, you know, going back to those warnings he made four months before he got his uh, bullet in his head, you know, talking about breaking up the CIA and warning about the military-industrial complex as Ike uh, Eisenhower had. I was looking at bringing some of uh, the LaRouche organisations. LaRouche, uh, Lyndon... LaRouche was a bit of a shady character in some ways, you know, but had quite. I only did research on him after I'd watched this really excellent summary of what's actually going on globally. But he was an American political activist um, who founded the LaRouche movement. So he sort of started out being really left and then he went really right. But uh, convicted of fraud, he served five years in prison from 1989 to 1994. So, you know, he's no angel, I guess, but. Colourful chap. Yeah, colourful chap, this is a good summary of of all the various things I've learned about this criminal cabal that wants to rule the world. Schwab and the World Economic Forum always bothers me that I've never seen any reference to the World Economic Forum and the fact that both Hipkins and Ardern, and Simon Power for that matter. Were young global leaders. Yet Schwab actually saying proudly, "We have penetrated all the cabinets of these countries." You know, so you got Trudeau there as well. Macron, uh, I think Putin was involved, and uh, Zelensky. Don't take my word for it, but look in that direction because it is interesting. But so the summary of what they want is basically. Put into seven points, they want basically no sovereignty. So nations submit to the arbitrary global rules-based order. Uh, they want a global currency, central bank digital currency under the control of the International Monetary Fund. Of course, our central bank has, has got several working papers on that. Global governments along the lines of ESG, that's the environmental social governance policy that BlackRock's forcing all of the companies their major shareholders in to adhere to. And this is where all spending is dictated by these central banks and the technocrats. So the aim here is, is no growth. And this will make sense. There's actually articles in the paper about the IMF and standards and pours this weekend that absolutely track along that, saying we've got to cool the economy. So this is to also to destroy efficient energy sources and, and force anyone, everyone into energy scarcity. So if we look in Germany now, the price of power has gone up 500% since they've dismantled their nuclear systems. And obviously, since someone has uh, destroyed that pipeline, Uh, the number four is dictatorship by corporate cartels. So big pharma, hedge funds, insurance, finance, grain cartels, raw material cartels, et cetera, who will dictate what spending policies will be. The dictatorship will be backed by global NATO, which will extend into the Pacific with a policy of permanent war, basically. So that gets back to what I was saying about Kennedy. Number six is total censorship directed by media and social media cartels. This gets back to what I'm saying about the media being corrupt. They're corrupt in that they're not telling the whole story when it doesn't suit, I guess, whoever's up the chain of their ownership. And number seven, you'll be pleased to know, Marie, is a culture of wokeness.
0: Oh, my favourite so project.
1: What these guys say, are saying is basically the ultimate aims here are depopulation to weaken the ability of nations to defend themselves while channeling all the wealth to these much less than 1% of the population. I've seen some references, I think, in Neil Ferguson's, the good Neil Ferguson. The
0: good Neil, the Scottish Neil Ferguson.
1: Yeah, he he was saying in in a very, very good, characteristically good uh, bit this week that there's only about 8,000 people. The people who aren't them outnumber them a million to one. And I think that's something we've got to keep talking about as well. There's a very small number of people who want to do all this crazy stuff. And the problem that we've got is um, people not really confronting that it's bullshit, being unwilling to entertain the possibility. And once you start entertaining the possibility, you find out there is quite a lot of bullshit, actually. You know, outside the billionaires who control all the major parties in the US, UK, EU, and I'd say apparently New Zealand as well, Uh, And a few extreme ideologue, who supports this? And what they've then gone into talk about, and again, this is conspicuous by its absence in New Zealand's media, are the real great reset that's happening. There are various moves. This is along the line of the BRICS stuff, where sovereign nations cooperate for their own sovereign interests, you know, which you'd hope the National Party would be all for, you know, doing what it says on the box and all that. And that's where, that's what some countries are now demanding, and that's what will be driving the current wars, I guess, and the wars that we'll be hearing about soon. So in Africa, you know, you've got this move to an African monetary fund, which is backed by gold raw, and raw materials, which is similar to what Gaddafi was talking about before he got regime changed by Hillary Clinton, Obama, and NATO back in 2011. Remember that? We came he died, <laughs> you know, in that witchy kind of way she had. There's a plan out of Africa, leader, African leaders to end the war in Ukraine at the moment through a negotiated peace plan that basically includes a secure and neutral Ukraine, but also recognises the legitimate security rights of Russia. Of course, this, this is re- rejected by Zelensky. I must say, if I was a Ukrainian and my leader said, we're going to fight until the last Ukrainian's dead, I'd think, uh, yeah, it's not a good plan. I don't like that plan. But anyway, these guys love it. The weapons suppliers, the military-industrial complex love it. There's another couple of things. There's a St. Petersburg International Economic Forum. And this has been, again, I've never read anything about this in the paper, but it includes thousands of people from government and business from about 100 countries. The U.S. have tried to frame, Secretary of State Blinken's tried to frame it. that Russia's isolated. But really, once you start looking at it, it's the West that's increasingly isolated. And, you know, these guys don't really care if the West boycotts it. And also there's what's happening with China. You know, there's next week there's the China-Africa Economic and Trade Exposition, which will be 50 African countries with the Belt and Road Initiative at its centre of these discussions. Now, I must confess, I know very little about the Belt and Road. I, I'm really not happy about what a lot of China is doing. And I see it as very sinister. But i tell you one thing about China. Whereas America has sort of had this policy for the last how well, centuries of just bombing the crap out of places. You know, while they've been bombing bridges, China's been building infrastructure and bridges. And so they've got this going on with Africa, but also with Arab nations, also with South American nations. So this is a real big deal. And it's got, it's in ascendancy. It's that, you know, I always talk about the collapse of civilizations. This is what's coming next.
0: And so, with China, too, is that they have been funding governments in developing nations now for decades.
1: Yeah, both China and Russia are a lot more flexible on debt. We've got Western nations uh, basically driving these client states they've had toward austerity. They're, they're being told, much as the IMF are telling New Zealand now, um, they can't build schools, roads, hospitals, infrastructure until they pay back debt, whereas China and Russia are both more flexible and sometimes forgive debt. But, you know, the West telling you can't afford to become a modern nation. We're going to tell you what to do. We're going to give you, you know, solar because, you know, you can't have the coal that we've had to get where we are. And so, yeah, America's sending envoys out to threaten nations to get them out of these organisations. Blinken's asked to attend you know, the BRICS conference as an observer, but he hasn't been granted it. In response to this, the transatlantic forces have have launched a series of basically provocative military exercises in Eastern Europe. And at the same time, you've got uh, the president of Belarus now, you know, has these nuclear weapons in his country and says he won't hesitate to use it. So these guys, you know, do you factor in also the fact that the FBI are now admitting that there's a document saying that Biden took 5 million in bribes, it looks like, from um, the Ukraine uh, when he was vice president. It's an explosive situation. And yeah, again, th- this really brings that whole you love saying brouhaha, and I noticed you haven't said it, so I'll use the brouhaha for the uh, about the national radio reporter changing uh, stories to include some pro Russian information. I mean, you know, when there's that much pressure on journalists, you, you bet that. Journalists are going to think twice before they say anything about any of the stuff. As I said, don't take my word for it, but that's a good place to start looking if you want the news to make a bit more sense.
0: And to that point, so just to give you an exact example of what you've talked about, this is Liam Dan's Herald on Sunday. Harden up New Zealand. This was the recession we needed to have. Yeah, it's pretty simple. We had a pandemic and had to shut the country down to save lives. No, we didn't, Liam. Yeah. No. In my we mind, did It's simple. We borrowed to get through that. We've lived beyond our means for three years. We're now going through a process of payback. We're going through the process of removing demand from the economy to reduce inflation. I love the very liberal use of the word "we."
1: yeah i don't remember voting for that
0: no i didn't vote for that either and i i i was stunned at the lockdown because i arrived back into new zealand days before they closed the border i'd been away on business and i was absolutely stunned that they were doing this but more than that once they locked not first they closed the borders and then about two weeks later three weeks later they locked us down and As a business owner, I just remember thinking to myself, well, it's all well and good to shut us down without throwing in all the civil liberty aspects with that. But what is the cost of business? How do you reopen that up? And there was no consideration for that whatsoever. And we are paying the price for this government following a model that came from, drum roll, please, it came from China. I mean... Mm. All these Western countries followed
1: the Chinese model in order throughout the plans for a pandemic,
0: which they'd only just modelled months previously. Yeah, and you know, public policy in terms of public health, all of that got thrown out on its ear in unison.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and the CIA and various other of these organizations had drilled it, I think we said it on an earlier show, and they hadn't drilled, well, okay, how do we get vitamin C to everyone and how do we you know, get everyone to maintain their health? It was about how do we use social media and the media to get Western nations to pivot towards authoritarianism at once, like a flock of Starlings, as I say in a column. Some bits missing that you've got to know in order for the paper to make sense. And once it does make sense... The Liam Dan's, oh, it's simple. It all looks a bit sinister because really, really playing the tune that the piper's are uh, getting them to pay.
0: Gosh, we've had a lot to talk about this morning. Mm. Let's finish off with a story that was actually the first one that I plucked out and discussed with you um, a few days back. We've both been doing a little digging on this, and it was one that kind of tugged at my heartstrings, sort of having – Experience that. It is the story around Jamie Lupton, who's the fiance of Nick Mowbray. Now, Nick Mowbray is one of the siblings that has Zuru toys. So, if you're a mum and dad out there, you'll know all about Bunch of Balloons. So she, in herself, is an exceptionally accomplished uh, businesswoman. She owns a company called Monday Hair Care, which is global. On her own, is looking at doing $200 in retail sales this year. So she, in herself, is also very, very accomplished. Now, her and Nick were expecting a baby, and she lost that child at 24 weeks in March of this year so she had a stillbirth and it and she has been going through a lot of fertility issues in order to conceive this child it is a story that so many people in this country have been touched by in regards to infertility if you are somebody who has experienced either infertility or a stillbirth or multiple miscarriage it's uh, in the review section in the herald on sunday it is actually a really well-written poignant piece and part of that, I believe it's because it was written by Jane Fair. She has obviously written it from a place of experience. There were some statistics that I found really amazing. So whilst I haven't suffered from infertility in the sense of conception, I did suffer from multiple miscarriages which wasn't diagnosed until after I'd had the third I've had five and Mm. a couple of those have been second trimester and she talks about you know the labor she had losing their child and I have to admit having one lost one at a similar stage and have gone through that it's it sticks with you it is it's a really difficult thing It was really interesting, and I sent this this to you late last night because we were diving into some of the numbers around this. And when I was going through all of this, one of the things I was told multiple times by the obstetrician and by people in my prenatal care was, look, this happens to one in five women, Marie. It's quite common. It is just something you have to work through. This is before the genetic diagnosis. And I was like, okay, that's fine. The first thing I noticed is how... On the royal college of midwives site that one in five is now all of a sudden is one in four
1: yeah incredible we had similar um issues i think before our first child and between our second two second two were were born in fast order i sympathize with that because i know you know then every pregnancy you have subsequently you're really on uh just walking on eggshells. People take for granted th- that you can have kids, and there's a real feeling of being cheated when you uh, career and booze away your twenties, and then you think, right, okay, my plan is now to have a child just before I'm I'm thirty, and then it doesn't doesn't, doesn't happen.
0: happen. I mean, look, to be fair, I mean, she's been trying since sort of late twenties, so she has certainly not done the let's wait. Um, yeah. Let's wait until things get settled before we do it. And full credit for her for that. You know, she certainly has not done that. But the other piece of, um, so stillbirths, I looked up. there's not a lot of data. That was. This is what sparked this question. As you yeah. sent me a text last night saying, have I come across any current data? And I did a bit of a dive around and I got the Mr. Marie to do a bit of diving around as well. And what we could find from a New Zealand perspective is there was pretty much nothing since 2017. Did you strike that when you were doing well, the- you
1: know, well, I, uh yeah, I just struck uh, a lot of gaslighting yeah, around, absolutely. you know, th- there's no impact on fertility uh, from the, the Pfizer jab when really they didn't give it to pregnant women in the trials because it's not ethical to do so, which that was probably one of the things that shocked me the most about the mandating, that you could mandate a, a pregnant woman or a woman who's trying to give birth out for not wanting um, a relatively new pharmaceutical agent injected into it and it you know
0: well it's this the theological nature of it if you're pregnant and you're told that you can't eat ham from the supermarket how on earth can you have I mean, that was the the line in the sand that I had. So when I did the research just to have a look at some of these numbers, because that one and four number leapt out at me straight away because I knew that one and five number. It was something that was told to me again and again and again Mm. as a way of comfort. It didn't give me a lot of comfort at the time, but it was indelibly sort of burnt into my brain. So then when I dived in and had a look and did a search, there were two stories, one that cropped up one after the other. One was the Health Research Council of New Zealand, and the other one was the sharp increase in stillbirth risk of baby quiet in the evening, and that came from the University of Auckland. The University of Auckland story was released in July of 2019, and they found that one in every 500 women in New Zealand will experience a late stillbirth, losing her baby, at or after 28 weeks of pregnancy, which is what is considered a stillbirth after 28 weeks. Meanwhile, the Health Research Council of New Zealand, they did decrease in late stillbirths, possibly linked to more pregnant women sleeping on their side. Okay, so we went from quiet in the evening to sleeping on their side. That story... That story was released in November 2021, and here's the kicker. Late stillbirth, third trimester from 28 weeks of pregnancy onwards, currently affects around one in every 400 pregnant women in New Zealand.
1: Wow. So 20% drop. Over what period? 2019
0: to... So from 2019, it was one in every 500, and by November twenty twenty-one, one in every four hundred mm. are experiencing stillbirths. Dot dot dot. Just saying. And I know that correlation well, is causation but
1: a absolutely incredible. Uh bit of data out of Australia with that as well, didn't you, in terms of the birth rates. Is, was there a source on that?
0: Yes. That was from Mr. Marie. He did that digging for me. This is straight from the Statistista Research Department, which I think is the Australian Statistics Department. So this right, is Right, so reliable. Reliable data. This is the number of births in Australia per thousand. Okay. Mm. So this is from 20, 20, 2011 to twenty twenty two. From 2011 all the way down to 2019, it was anywhere between 302 births per thousand to three hundred and eleven booths. pretty 30, stable like
1: decline Pretty so 30, stable 302 307 310 yep. 306 311
0: 3- yep slight dip in 2020 um to 293 so obviously lockdown meant that there wasn't a lot of shaking going on or not as much With you would have thought i know <laughs> they possibly weren't enjoying their time at home um but then that's okay well no but that's all right because um maybe there was Maybe well, it, it was because it bounced up in yeah in 2021 to 315. so okay obviously they rekindled they their rekindled their joy and, and made up but then in 2022 it went from 300 and, so essentially around 300 births per thousand in Australia to 150 births per thousand so it
1: halved tanked. That's incredible. I mean, that's and the fact that that's, you know, there's, as we said, there's a lot of stories about people struggling to conceive uh, in the paper. There's there's one in each weekend, anyway, at least, isn't there?
0: Yeah, pretty much. And it is just, you know, and if you are a parent, if you are someone out there trying to conceive, you know, you'd certainly have my sympathies. It is a really tough time. And all I can say, yeah, and all I can say is, look, just keep trying. Um, Yeah. And stay positive, but...
1: And also relax. I was reading Jamie Lupton's story and yeah, people constantly congratulate Lupton on her business success, not knowing that she often drives home from work in tears, crying over the one thing in the world she wants the most. You know, stress isn't good for conception either. So it's, it gets harder and harder to do. But yeah, if you can limit stress, that cliche that people give up and stop trying and then fall pregnant, that, that happened to my brother and his wife. She got told there was absolutely no chance it wasn't even worth doing even any point of doing IVF and then you know boom they they had a a, a kid and um it is It's a mysterious beast and,
0: uh, and it is yeah very very difficult
1: That figure you know let's just say it again the number of births in Australia 2021 315 more than halved in 2022 the fact that that's not, as I said, I searched uh, for Ashley Bloomfield giving a crap about this in vain. Could not find any even slight concern about New Zealand's plunging birth rate. Because don't forget, I mean, it'll be, and again, there's, we couldn't find any data for New Zealand for this. Surprise, surprise. But whatever data there is will be coming on top of the 25% decline in birth rate. Between two thousand and ten and two thousand twenty, when these guys say one of the aims is depopulation, make of that what you will. But make of it what you will in light of those figures and the absolute lack of discussion about them.
0: Mm, absolutely, and the follow-on effects for all of those as well.
1: I noticed some um, before we go, there's a story in um in the Sunday Star Times: Chinese Navy confronts New Zealand frigate in South China Seas, and that was from an incident that happened in. 2018 and that was something Dan mentioned on the show a couple of weeks back but there's no crediting of him as being the person who brought it up so it's nice to know the media are listening to us even if they're still in that first they ignore your face I'll tell you what chaps you won't be able to ignore us for long
0: oh, and if you want to hear more of this good content yep catch Marty, Cam, Olivia Pearson with Paul Brennan over on our political panel on a Friday morning uh, Thank you again, Marty. We will be back. Marty and I will be back, as always, next week. Remember, if you want to share your comments, disagree with us, put in some ideas, do contact us, inbox at realitycheck.radio, or the text number is 2057. A shout out to to John. John sent us yeah, a couple of bits of yeah, feedback. It yeah, really, it
1: really does. Uh, Hope you've enjoyed this week, John. it is nice to get uh, people saying that uh, my not ever going to broadcasting school isn't uh, hampering us putting putting on a good show. So that's well,
0: nice. ne- neither of us. Yeah. yeah. All right. No, I didn't. Oh gosh, da- darling, no tertiary education here.
1: <laughs> All <laughs> oh, right, thank Yep, awesome. And uh, see you next week. Have a good week, everyone.
0: And don't disappear here with RCR. I've still got the vocabulary woke word of the week to come, um, as well as some more great music here with Counterculture.
1: You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Melody <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Chick Radio. Check radio.